if the general manager's job in Pittsburgh is not deemed attractive by qualified candidates. Oh, oh, wait. Also and related, what if monkeys were to fly out of one's rear end? Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates that I hope you'll check out. I'm sorry, but that's just preposterous. It's preposterous, and it's going to be addressed today emphatically. Last night in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Hurricanes eliminated the Devils. The Hurricanes became the last standing member of the Metro Division and the first on either side of the bracket to advance to the conference final. And in Dallas, the Stars beat the Kraken 5-2 to take a 3-2 lead in that series. And along the way, Several people known to be candidates for the Penguins' vacancy proceeded to go about their current daily work, which is part of the reason that this GM search has been as understated publicly as it's been. When you're talking about Kyle Dubas, the GM of the Maple Leafs, they're playing tonight in a do-or-die game against the Panthers tonight up in Toronto. The Hurricanes, I just mentioned, advanced. They have an assistant GM, Eric Tulski, who's known to be of interest to the Penguins. Jason Bottrell and the Kraken are still going. Bottrell's the assistant GM under Ronnie Francis out in Seattle, still going. And I got news for everybody. These guys that I just mentioned, along with several others who've been attached to this, are the cream of the crop. They're who's out there. There's there's obviously a pack of established general managers who are tied to contracts who can't even be contacted. But for those who are in another category, or even potentially in another category like Dubas, they're all in on this. And that shouldn't surprise anybody. Let me start with the obvious. There are 32 of these jobs on the planet. On any given year, there are no more than two or three in which there's a changing of the hands. Let's remember that David Poyle just recently stepped down as the general manager in Nashville after... Oh, wait, he was the only GM they ever had, going all the way back to their arrival in the NHL in the year of our Lord 2000. That's how this goes in some places, not poil length, but GMs aren't like head coaches. They don't get fired every time there's a slump. So even if you look around the league right now, And ask yourself, where are these vacancies? Okay, well, if Dubas leaves Toronto, there's going to be one in Toronto. There's one currently on Long Island. There's one in Calgary. And what am I missing? Anybody? Yeah? No. So what are you talking about here? What are you talking about when you suggest, as so many people have, that this job is unattractive? It's got challenges. 
you're going to be coming in with a very, very difficult salary cap situation. You're going to be coming in having to make a couple of very hard individual decisions between Jason Zucker and Tristan Jari. And if you don't keep Zucker for whatever reason, you're going to have to find Zucker elsewhere or someone to replace him on a lot of fronts. If you don't keep Jari, you've basically got to reinvent your goaltending from scratch. That's that's not going to be any picnic. But you know what? That's what these people do. At least the non-Ron Hextall versions of them. That's what they do. They'll take a challenge like this, and instead of complaining endlessly about the cap, the way Hextall did in his time here, they'll look at it and say, wow, okay, I got a chance to do something here. If you come into Pittsburgh, you've got a chance, potentially anyway, I'm not making any predictions or being weird here, to try to contribute to the final Stanley Cup of Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang. Start with that, okay? Start with the notion, the accurate notion, that the hardest parts of a team to build, the hardest parts to find, nurture, develop, are already in place. You've got literally generational Hall of Fame talents here who are fresh off playing in every game, meaning Sid and Gino, of course, I'm I'm leaving Tanger out of this, who were point-of-game performers. And then add to that four wingers who would probably be in anyone's top six around the league with the possible exception of Brian Rust. Jake Gensel, Ricard Raquel, and the way Zucker played this past season, all of them would be top six on probably all 32 teams. Not as a group. I'm talking about as individuals. You tell me what you think would be harder for a GM to find than a true top six, which Pittsburgh has. Tell me what would be harder to find, just to keep this going here, than a number one defenseman who can log 30 minutes a game and plays on all special teams. Where do you think these players are? How many of them do you think exist? In Toronto, Dubas had to kind of manufacture one out of Morgan Riley, and the Maple Leafs' biggest problem for a long time, I guess you could throw goaltending into this, not to mention their own miserable history was that they couldn't find that defenseman to match up with all the Austin Matthewses and Mitch Marners and William Nylanders that they had up front. Well, that's here. That's here. And then comes the crazy part, which is that everybody that I just mentioned to you, beginning with Sid, Gino, and Latang, are playing at well below market value. Your cap space isn't tight. Because of the core guys, it's because the last guy had no idea what the hell he was doing in terms of filling the roster out. Now, you're saddled with some of that, obviously. Jeff Carter's coming back. Mikhail Granlin's coming back. Or they're not. You know, you're the GM. You don't have to let them play. You can just kind of make them go away. You can find a taker. 
for their cap hits. Give up some draft picks to make it happen. Do whatever it is that you got to do. But that's just part of the challenge. That's not something that would keep you from applying for the job for crying out loud. Where does this stuff even start? When we come back, J1Q. Absolutely outstanding. Comes from Dave, and he asks, was there any downside in having Sid and Gino remain healthy throughout the year? I got to tell you, Dave, the reason that I found this to be outstanding was was one of those rare questions that the first time I read it, I didn't know what you meant. And then I thought about it, and I figured out what you meant, and then I realized that wasn't what you meant. So here's what I think you meant before we get to anything else. Sid and Gino staying healthy throughout the year. The first time I read it, I interpreted it as, well, they're now legitimately a year older in hockey terms. Does that make sense? There's more wear and tear on the tires. So when they come back next year, they're going to be legitimately whatever age they would be in hockey years because they didn't have X percentage of the year off to recover or recuperate. Does that make sense? Well, anyway, so I I determined on my own that that's not what you meant. And I instead took it to mean that Sid and Gino remaining healthy throughout the year meant that they didn't have much left at the end. And on that front, I'm I'm not going to go along with it. I saw what you saw, okay? I saw that they weren't dominant in games 70 through 82. If they were, being honest here, they beat the Blackhawks, okay? <laughs> they just do. Even if the rest of the team was laying a cumulative egg, those two players beat the Blackhawks. And the Penguins make the playoffs. So, yes, it's fair to bring that up in that context. The reason that I don't like it and this reason you can probably tell I'm getting a little cringy here and discussing it is that it sounds like you'd be pinning, not you, but anybody who would go along with that concept would be pinning any portion of this debacle that just occurred on those two for playing through pain. Don't think that they didn't get hurt just because they played every game, okay? Especially in Sid's case. He was nursing some stuff. But also, this is always tough to bring up in the moment. Maybe a little bit easier as some time has passed, which it has now, obviously, since the Penguins were wiped out by the Blackhawks. And that's that this really was the best possible outcome. You know? I... I still just, I I shudder at the idea that they would have made the playoffs. And I did say this at the time. Okay. I said this at the time, meaning beforehand, before the loss to the Blackhawks, that the worst case scenario here would have been making the playoffs and going on some cute little run, in which case the people who don't know anything about hockey or the Penguins or Pittsburgh, who are sitting there in Boston watching the Penguins from afar, if they're even watching, to say, well, hey, I mean, this management team, man, they're pretty sharp, you know? That team really battled, came back. They they did a nice job putting that group together, okay? 
<laughs> and they wouldn't even look into this. Whereas, and I can tell you from covering the last game, the one after the Blackhawks game in Columbus, you could just sense from the people who'd come there, meaning Kevin Acklin, President of Business Operations, Dave Beeston, the liaison from FSG, that this was fait accompli. There, there was no way to not fire these individuals because of the scenario that had just unfolded. So it needed to happen. So don't, I, I wouldn't waste a whole lot of energy worrying about what could have been over this past season, because the correct answer to that is available on your TV screens every single night. The Penguins weren't going to compete with any of the 16 teams that made it. Not any of these 16 teams. So what would have been the point? Carry on the streak? You know, I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. Let's do this again Monday and discuss the elimination of the Maple Leafs.